I'm happy to be back here in the warm south. It's interesting, we were up in Michigan for two weeks, we had two feet of snow. It was seven below at one time overnight, and nothing happened. I come back here to Tallahassee, the world is ending, schools are closing, disaster is coming, my pipes freeze, and everything's gone, so you know, but uh, I'm glad to be back in the warm south. I want us to think this morning about the period that we've gone through. Usually we think of Thanksgiving from Thanksgiving. Uh, That's about the only time we think about it during the year. I want to change that. I want to make this a year of Thanksgiving and see if we can't do that as we start off this year. I want to start off by painting and an experience for you, or a, a picture. It's actually someplace that's not far from here. Picture a seacoast on the eastern side of Florida. There's an old broken pier. It's been weathered by years of rain and wind and waves. And the distance from a beach house You see an old man coming out of the beach house, walking down a little lane across a boardwalk onto the beach, slowly making his way out to the pier. If you're out here on this beach, you can witness this, or you could, let's put it that way, you could witness this every Friday. It was a ritual that happened without fail. You could see this frail old man carrying a large five-gallon bucket. On closer inspection, the bucket shows that it's filled with shrimp. There are seagulls descending from everywhere, probably from Canada. They know what's about to happen. To some of us, seagulls are a nuisance. They make lots of squawking noises. They're even referred to by some as rats with wings. But this man goes out onto this rickety old pier, sits on a bench, reaches into the bucket, and begins to feed these seagulls. They come squawking from everywhere. Soon, the bucket is empty. And we see this man get up and walk back to his house. Why is he doing this? Why does he do this? Every Friday. What does he see in these seagulls? Why does he need to feed them from a falling down pier? Why does he upset the neighbors by bringing all this squawking and whatever else the seagulls leave? Today, our story is about thankfulness. Rejoicing and returning thanks to those who need it. How does this square with the story I started? Well, in the radio business, we call this a tease. Stay with me. We'll return to the story. Ellen White in Review and Herald in 1888 states this. We are starting another year. Christmas and New Year have passed. 
Let us candidly and carefully review our life during the past year with its burden of history into eternity and consider the many tokens we have had of the favor of God's blessing upon us. The most unspeakable gift which God could bestow upon this world was the gift of his beloved Son. We do not half appreciate the grandeur of the plan of salvation. He who was the one with the Father stepped down from the glorious throne in heaven, lay aside his royal robe and crown, and clothed his divinity with humanity. For your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might be rich. Infinite was the sacrifice on the part of the Father, infinite the sacrifice on the part of the Son. The highest gift that heaven could bestow was given to ransom fallen humanity. Oh, what divine benevolence! It would have been far easier to crush the world out of existence and start over. But he chose to reform it. Christ declares, The Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. The Son of God understood the desperate situation, and he himself came to our world, that man through him might have eternal life. We can, my dear brothers and sisters, behold such love. Can we Behold it without being moved. Let us look to Jesus and see the amazing love for fallen man of which the cross of Calvary gives evidence. The great sacrifice has been made and Christ has purchased man at an infinite cost. You are bought with a great price. Even the precious blood of the Son of God. Our Lord designed that his church should reflect to the world the fullness of and sufficiency that we find in him. His children derive their enjoyment from a source higher than the world can comprehend. And as they are constantly receiving of God's bounty in spiritual and temporal gifts, they are to represent to the world the love and benefits of Christ. Review and Herald, December 11, 1888. God created a plan for us even before we were born, even before the world was created. Carl Thomas Rowan was an American government official, journalist, and author. Carl Rowan was born in Ravenscroft, Tennessee, the son of Johnny, a cook and cleaner, and Thomas, who stacked lumber. He was raised in McMinnville in the state of Tennessee. Rowan was determined to get a good education. He graduated from Bernard High School in 1942 as class president and valedictorian. He studied at Tennessee State University and Washburn University. He was one of the first African-American officers in the United States Navy. Rowan was also a member of Omega Psi Phi Fraternity. He, was, he graduated from Oberlin College 
and was awarded a master's degree in journalism from the University of Minnesota. He began his career in journalism writing for African-American newspapers, the Minnesota Minneapolis Spokesman and the St. Paul Recorder. He went on to be copywriter for the Minneapolis Tribune and later became a staff writer, reporting mostly on civil rights movement. In his autobiography, Breaking Barriers, syndicated columnist Rowan tells how a teacher greatly influenced his life. He relates, Miss Thompson reached into her desk and pulled out a piece of paper containing a quote attributed to Chicago architect Daniel Burnham. I listened intently as she read. Make no little plans. They have no magic to stir men's blood, and probably themselves will not be realized. Make big plans. Aim high in hope and work. Remember, our sons and grandsons are going to do things that stagger us. More than 30 years later, he gave a speech in which he praised Frances Thompson and said that she had given him a desperately needed belief in himself. A newspaper printed the story. Someone mailed it, the clipping to his beloved teacher. She wrote to him, You have no idea what that newspaper story meant to me. For years I endured my brother's arguments that I had wasted my life, that I should have married and had a family. When I read what you gave me, and that you gave me credit for launching your marvelous career. I put the clipping in front of my brother. After he read it, I said, You see, I really didn't waste my life. Who is the influence in your life? How do they affect you? Have you thanked them? Who is your inspiration? This year I challenge you to keep them in your prayers and to actually thank them. Notes, words. Let us make it a year to remember and honor those who mean so much to us. In his book, God Isn't in a Hurry, Warren Wearsby has this quote. I have felt for a long time that one of the peculiar temptations of maturing Christians is the danger of getting accustomed to blessings. Like the world traveler who has been everywhere and seen everything, the maturing Christian is in danger of taking his blessings for granted and getting so accustomed to them that they fail to excite him as they once did. Emerson says that if the stars came out only once a year, we would all go outside to see them. Yet they're out every night, and we never look up at them. We hardly notice them. We see this with the Israelites, how they became accustomed to their blessings in the wilderness, 
God created that miracle called manna that was fed to them every day. We can read about this in Numbers 11. The people didn't realize the blessing they were receiving. And now the mixed multitude among them was yielding to other intense cravings. So the children of Israel wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt. One Bible translation, the fish that we ate for free. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our whole being is dried up. There is nothing at all except the manna before our eyes. The manna, like coriander seed, the color of delium, or what we would call resin. God had fed a nation from heavenly manna each morning, and yet the people were tired of it. Now our whole being is dried up. There's nothing except manna. Nothing. They were experiencing a miracle of God's proportion every morning, yet they no longer were excited about it. My mom relates a story of her childhood during the Depression. Her father purchased 50 pounds of oatmeal. It was a few pennies. That's what they lived on for about a month. Every day, three meals a day. Today, if we go to the grocery store and we can't buy the variety or the type of vegetable we want, we complain to management. One of the evidences that we have grown accustomed to our blessing is the spirit of criticism and complaining. Instead of thanking God for what we have, we complain about it and tell them we wish we had something else. You can be sure that if God gave it to us, In a few weeks, we'd complain again that we hadn't got exactly what we wanted or we want more. The person who has gotten accustomed to his blessing can never be satisfied. Another evidence of this malady is the idea that others have a better situation than we do. The Israelites remembered their diet in Egypt and longed to return to the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onion, and garlic. The people in Egypt are so much better off than we are. They'd obviously kind of forgotten about that slavery bit and the bondage and all those things, but, but the food was better. Slavery is a high price to pay for a change in diet. Irma Bombeck, in a short story in Red Book in October 1992, talks about her own struggle with breast cancer. And she was complaining, and so she sat down and wrote some notes about it. An estimated 1.5 million people are living today after bouts of breast cancer. Every time I forget to feel grateful to be among them, I hear the voice of an eight-year-old girl named Christina, who had cancer of the nervous system. When asked what she wanted for her birthday, she thought long and hard and finally said, I don't know. I have two sticker books and a Cabbage Patch doll. I have everything. 
the kid is right. We don't often thank God for our trials, heartaches, and difficulties. Although we are willing to praise him for his goodness, we sometimes fail to realize that even adverse circumstances are blessings in disguise. Scottish preacher George Matheson had that problem. He realized that he was not ready to praise God when things went wrong as he was when they went right. However, after he began to lose his eyesight, he changed his thinking. He struggled for some months with this weary burden until he reached the point where he could pray. My God, I have never thanked you for my thorn. I have thanked you a thousand times for my roses, but not once for my thorn. I have been looking forward to a world where I shall get compensated for my cross. But I have never thought of my cross as itself a present glory. Teach me the value of my thorn. When we count our blessings, we should include the weaknesses and the hardships, the burdens and the trials we face. If we do, we might find that God has used our difficulties more than the good things to help us grow. Why is that? Because it is in those difficult places that we discover the sufficiency of his grace. In our trials, we turn to God as we depend on him. We find that his strength has made us perfect in our weakness. Take a moment to think about the way God has led you. When you praise God for your blessings, do you thank him for your thorns? Gratitude is not a natural disposition. It takes some time and effort. It takes a discipline to remind ourselves that the reasons we have to be grateful. But it is an exercise well worth the discomfort. Here is my challenge to you today. Take some time today. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, come up with a gratitude list. If it doesn't come naturally, don't let that stop you from still giving thanks. There is still much to be thankful for if we only have eyes to see it. In our businesses, in many other things, we make plans for the next year, six months, 12 months. But sometimes we don't do that in our Christian lives. This year, I challenge you to make a plan how you will serve God this year. In our lives, families, children, church, neighborhood, and all we meet. Make a plan how you will do this this year. How will you serve God, your family, your children, your church, your neighbors? Make it for one month. Make it for six months. Make it for a year. We need to do that for ourselves. I want everyone to think about that this afternoon, to take that piece of paper, to write a plan of service and thanksgiving for this year for God. Even God, many years ago, made a plan for us. 
What will be your plan this year for church, for family, for school, for work? At the start, I left you with the teaser. Some of you will remember Paul Harvey. There's a few of us I know that remember him. And his rest of the story segment. This story comes from that program. Many years before, this scene that we see out there on the beach, it's October 1942. Captain Eddie Rickenbacker is on a mission in a B-17 to deliver an important message to General Douglas MacArthur in New Guinea. But there was an unexpected detour which would hurl Captain Eddie into the most harrowing adventure of his life. Somewhere over the South Pacific, the Flying Fortress became lost, beyond the reach of radio. Fuel ran dangerously low, so the men ditched their plane in the ocean. They were able to get out into rafts, and for nearly a month, Captain Eddie and his companions would fight the water and the weather and the scorching sun. They spent many sleepless nights recoiling as giant sharks ran their rafts. The largest raft they were in was nine feet by five feet. Some of the biggest sharks were ten feet. But all of their enemies at sea, one proved the greatest and most formidable, starvation. Eight days out, the rations were long gone or destroyed by salt water. It would take a miracle to sustain them. And the miracle occurred. In Captain Eddie's own words, Cherry, that was the B-17 pilot, Captain William Cherry, read the service that afternoon, and we finished with a prayer of deliverance and a hymn of praise. There was some talk, but it tapered off in the oppressive heat. I pulled my hat down over my eyes to keep out some of the glaze and dozed off. Now this is still Captain Redenbacher talking. Something landed on my head. I knew instantly it was a seagull. I don't know how I knew, I just knew. Everyone else in the boat knew too. No one else said a word. But peering out from under my hat brim without moving my head, I could see the expressions on their faces. They were staring at that gull. The gull meant food, if I could catch it. The rest, as they say, is history. Captain Eddie caught the gull. Its flesh was eaten. Its intestines were used to bait hooks and catch fish. The survivors were sustained and their hopes renewed because of one lone seagull. Uncharacteristically, hundreds of miles from land offered itself as a sacrifice. And now you know the rest of the story. You know he never forgot the seagulls. Because every Friday evening about sunset on a lonely stretch of the eastern Florida seacoast, you can see an old man, white-haired, bushy-eyebrowed, 
slightly bent, his bucket filled with shrimp. He was going to feed the seagulls. To remember that one long past that gave itself without a struggle like manna in the wilderness. I can imagine disciples staring at Jesus when he fed the 5,000 at a loss for how to feed all the people. They were seeing the miracle happen before their eyes. Jesus was providing food for starving souls and bodies. A long time ago, our Savior gave his life for each one of us. He died that we might have forgiveness and eternal life. Have you ever said thank you? How do you give back? How do you show that you are eternally grateful for this sacrifice? Do others see your thankfulness and devotion? What do you do every Friday evening? Can you be seen giving thanks? Are you as faithful to the one who gave you eternal life as one man was to seagulls? This year, let us make it our motto for the year, the year of thanksgiving.